You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hey, hey, great to be with you. I have with me today Michael Gasparo, Associate Marriage and Family Therapist with The Breakthrough Clinic, also working with another clinic in San Diego as well. He works closely with reintegrative therapy, and it's so important, the work that Michael's doing. He shared his testimony here on Trending, and I am going to lead a little bit with it just today, Michael, if you don't mind. I sometimes feel like I'm exploiting you by sharing your testimony, Uh, but it's so powerful and that is you yourself maybe you can give us like a 30 second rundown of it so that people know where you're coming from as we bring up this next issue sure so first of all glad to be here again today timory i am someone who has experienced same-sex attraction and this is something that happened for me pretty early in my life around middle school is when i first noticed these sexualized attractions towards the same gender and with this in mind i also struggled with pornography use And that's an ongoing challenge for many men in our communities and women, that the exposure to pornography at an early age creates a habit or an addiction that is a struggle for a long period of time in their life or even ongoing. And in my life, I continued to seek therapy to seek healing for the underlying traumas, neglects, and wounds in my life that were contributing to my same-sex attraction and my other temptations. And while I often tell people that I've struggled and wrestled with God about this issue. Ultimately, he convicted my heart to strive to do my best by his grace to follow his path according to the Church's teachings on sexuality. And that's where I am now, doing my best. I'm not pretending to be the poster boy of perfect sexuality, but I am here to say that God's grace is alive in my life and that he teaches me consistently that this wound and this source of challenge for me is actually a cross that has taught me and helped me to heal and grow into the man I am today. And, you know, Michael, I love your testimony because we have gotten to the point where we all think, well, you know, sex isn't that big of a deal. If I do this, it's not that big of a deal. Um, You know, if I look at a little bit of pornography, it's not that big of a deal. Um, You know, if I have maybe not necessarily premarital sex, but kind of do everything, but it's not that big of a deal. And you are one of those voices who is saying no chastity matters my life matters and i'm going to live according to the catholic church's all-encompassing attitude of sexuality of being faithful to my vocation and the truth of my body and the thing i've preached most strongly especially in my different media communications about this is that the church's teachings on sexuality lead me to freedom they lead all of us to freedom And sometimes I hear people say, well, don't point the finger at gay people. You know, everyone should be addressing this towards heterosexual people because they use contraception or or this or that or the other thing. And my consistent message is this, point the finger at yourself. And what I mean by that is exactly what Jesus said, pull the log out of your own eye before you pull the speck of sawdust out of your brother. And so for all of us, when we talk about sexuality, it's important that we do it in a reflective way. How can I better live according to the Church's teachings so that I can have the true freedom that Christ is calling me to, the freedom to enjoy my sexuality according to my state in life, whether it's honoring it as the gift it is as a celibate person or enjoying it in marriage with a woman? 
Amen. That's Michael Gasparro. He's an associate marriage and family therapist. Michael, I have been wanting to talk to you about this for a while. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. Timory here. Michael, there's this theme or not even this theme, just like this draw to the I'm going to call him a character. He's a makeup artist that's extremely popular on Instagram and especially on YouTube. He does videos that, you know, I've been watching a little bit of his videos. They're extremely sexualized. Um, he doesn't I don't think could call himself transgender, um, but I, th- I think he might call it. I think he calls himself Andro- androgy. Um, androgynous? And, and, sorry, I'm cut off on my screen. Yes, exactly. He calls himself androgynous. Sometimes you get confused. Like, you think this is a word you've mm-hmm. heard, and then you look at the picture in front of you. This poor man, like, I'm looking at the images right now, Jeffree Star on Instagram. Not that I'm recommending it, but he is a man who has probably had a lot of surgery, definitely has a lot of makeup, maybe hair implants, and he looks like Lord Voldemort with a lot of makeup. I'm sorry. And these young people are so enamored by him. He's got over 16 million followers and they're talking about him constantly right now during the coronavirus. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because it's not just him on Instagram that is creating this popularity. If you've noticed, there's a massive surge in popularity among what they would call drag queens or drag artists as well. And their Instagram followings are often very large. And this is the same overarching concept, this gender bending, gender fluid. There is no boy or girl. And it's often highly sexualized, like you've mentioned to me before, Timory. And what's very interesting is they sneak the sexualization in. So if you watch a video of his, he'll make subtle comments. But if you're not keen on perhaps the sexuality lingo that's being used, it might flip over your head, but it's very, very raunchy. And so these kinds of sexual comments are often being targeted to people's subconscious almost in a way where it just sort of numbs you to the reality of what they're doing. And I think that's the subtlety of it that makes it particularly concerning to me. Mm. And I look at his photos and he looks, if anything else, self-absorbed, self-obsessed. It's so sad. Like, this is someone, I'm sorry to say, who needs help, who needs resources. But instead, because our culture has pushed forward, like you said, this drag movement right now, this transgenderism, you know, it's almost like we're so enamored by it because it's so different and it's so confusing and it's sparkly and it's sexy and it's attractive um, that we can't stop looking when in reality, you know, I feel like we're in what was that movie, The Hunger Games? And, you know, they had the elitists and the elitists were dressed up with crazy hair and cat faces and, you know, kind of a mm-hmm. manipulation of the natural beauty and features of the human person. This is what we're seeing in the transgender drag movement. And yet they've got a bunch of 13 year olds following and watching these videos. And with someone like Jeffree Star, I'm not an expert in his content by any means, but he's also covered in tattoos, which are essentially more considered a a masculine look, let's say. So he has this very strange combination of traditionally masculine and traditionally feminine aspects of his appearance. And this creates confusion just in general. It's intended to cause confusion. And I've seen this, too, in other TV shows. There's a big TV show on right now called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist on NBC. And again, I'm not plugging it necessarily, but there is a theme in that TV show where there is a character who is also gender fluid. He's very much like Jeffree Star, where he kind of is a 
boy, but he dresses like a girl, and he's not really identifying as either or. And the theme there is just accept me as I am. And the question I always have is, what does that mean to you? Does that mean approving of everything you do? Does that mean being your friend even though you do things they don't approve of? And I think ultimately a lot of these characters and these sort of accounts, let's call them, on Instagram, YouTube, social media, or otherwise, they create an environment where acceptance equals approval. And as Catholics, we know that those are two separate things. Mm-hmm. Accepting somebody with respect, compassion, and sensitivity is not the same as approving of what they're doing. And what they're doing, God bless them, we know maybe they even have a lot of wounds that contribute to why they're doing these things, but it could be causing a lot of confusion, especially for young people who are influential. I mean, Timmer, you and I, we're adults with uh, well-formed consciences, of course imperfect, but we are even confused sometimes when we see these images. They're yeah. upsetting, they're confusing, they're sexy, they're sleek. What should my reaction be? Imagine if you're a 13-year-old adolescent with raging hormones and a lot of confusion about who you are. This could be really scary even to you as a young person. Yeah, it's a heartbreaking. And, you know, one of the things that I keep thinking about, you know, you mentioned the attitude of acceptance versus approval. Well, there's acceptance versus approval, and there's that ambiguity there, I think, especially for young people um, to think that just accepting someone is approval. But furthermore, think about all the 13-year-olds. Think about all the 17-year-olds who are following this man in droves on social media. And I'm sorry, but I'm looking at a photo where he's sucking on an inhaler in a very sexualized manner. And I say, you know, when we view ourselves only as sexual human beings, when all the content that we look at online is of a very sexualized element of the human person, because sex is a part of who we are, um, we degrade the human person to only its sexual parts and its sexual attraction in anything that has to do with attracting. And I think that that's what a lot of, especially girls and boys, are confused by today. And it's part of that selfie movement, too. I wonder, too, about, I, I have to look up more about Jeffree Star, I guess, but in that image, I, I did see that as an Instagram profile picture, I think, him using an inhaler. I don't know if he's promoting asthma awareness or what he's doing with that. But, yeah, it's so bizarre that you would take something that's traditionally just a normal, healthy medical intervention and somehow try to sexualize it. It, it just begs the question of, is it attention-seeking at all costs, and, and what's the purpose behind it? And I have concerns for young people as well when they're exposed to that kind of image and that kind of behavior. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit of a recommendation for parents. I'm not saying necessarily get rid of the Instagram, but I am saying maybe there's some um, social media filtering that needs to be done because if a 13 year old is continuously looking at a character like Jeffree Star and others, there's a concern for how that child will view their own sense of self-perception. Especially when the types of comments that Jeffree Star makes, and I literally looked up two short videos, there was multiple sexual references that most adults would get that most young people might not if they're very early in their adolescence. Yep. And that's concerning to me because it's, you know, what goes in one ear doesn't always go out the other. Sometimes it sticks in the brain and kind of lingers there and causes issues. And not to mention the sexual comments, but the sexual nature of how he relates to the people in the videos. Again, let's call a spade a spade. This is a highly sexualized account intended to create confusion about gender. Yep, absolutely. So if you don't want your children exposed to that, then you need to monitor what your children are actually looking at on Instagram. And that's the tip of the iceberg, quite frankly, with Instagram. That is a 
pit of filth when you want it to be. If you can keep yourself to the good, positive aspects of Instagram, then great. Do that. And if you can monitor your children, especially their account, then awesome. But there are plenty of pitfalls, and, and that's true for anywhere on the Internet, Tim Marie. So we really have to just be aware of, as adults, what are we putting into our mind? And as parents, what are we doing to help our children navigate the confusing landscape that we call the Internet right now? Amen. And, you know, just a reminder, it's not just Instagram. It's not just Facebook. In fact, most young people aren't really on Facebook, but it's Snapchat. It's TikTok. It's YouTube. You know, we just have to be equipping young people with the tools they need to be able to identify things that they shouldn't be looking at all the time and maybe wait to expose them to certain things if maybe they're just not ready to have those own um, elements of self-filtration, among other things. Because the reality is, is that young people are depressed and have anxiety in ways we have never seen before and even they themselves teenagers are attributing it to this overuse of social media and their technology because they're so confused about themselves because of this constant inundation of what's confusing and the archdiocese of los angeles for instance and as you know tim we shared on the show before i work as a confirmation coordinator at saint anastasia catholic church in los angeles so i work with teenagers there and we do safety training, safe environment training with the teenagers. And this year we did internet safety. And in the list of things we should address were content related to apps that were dangerous for teens. And they're rated different levels. And what's interesting is they are changing so fast that the packet is almost obsolete a few months after it's created. Mm -hmm. And why am I bringing this up? So, you know, I work as a marriage and family therapist. So I work with families and children. And especially in the Catholic therapy model, we're going to talk a lot about the moral worldview, moral order in a way that maybe secular therapy might not address. And the reason I bring this up is because you can chase the dragon around all you want, but it's going to be faster and probably a little bit fly higher than you can. And what I mean by the dragon is this elusive ability to control every app and know every angle of every technology that your children are holding. What I would highlight to consider is focus on building a trusting and open communication in your relationship with your child. If you do that, and you, of course there are filters that you can put on, of course there are ways to monitor the phone directly, but some of that is going to be limited by what you can do as a parent because they might be with their friends the next weekend at a sleepover, and their friends don't have those limitations on their phone. So we can only limit so much what our children are exposed to, to an extent. What we can do is foster that honest, open communication that helps us be attuned to our children's emotional state, helps us to be attuned to what their needs are, and it helps us to be the place that they come to say, Mom, Dad, I'm confused. Something I saw just didn't sit right with me. Or we notice the shift in their affect, their emotional state, that we check in with them and say, hey, everything okay? Or however you have that relationship with your child and the words you might use. So that's my recommendation. Instead of having fear about controlling every angle of the internet use, really invest in a loving way that creates open communication with your teen, child, or whatever age they are. And what better time to start doing that than now? Here we are, we're all stuck or maybe happy to be at home with our families. Um, we have the opportunity to implement you know, new ways of cooking, new diets, but we also have ways to implement new ways of caring for our souls, of prayer, of you know, monitoring, self-monitoring, and really monitoring our kids and starting that role. Like Maybe you don't have that open communication with your kid. 
well, you're stuck in the house with them right now. Maybe it's a good time to start working on it because it takes time. And just like a lot of those parents who have been reaching out to me saying, you know, I could never be a stay at home mom. This is so difficult. You know, you're doing it. And you're doing a great job and you and your kids are getting used to each other. And I'm sure that, you know, today versus a month ago, you're far more used to each other. And maybe you're even enjoying it more than you would have thought now than you had before. And so I want to encourage people, don't be afraid. Use this time wisely and be bold with this time to make the changes for you and your family. Well, just try not to do it via Zoom from the other room. So if you're in the same house, <laughs> if you're in the same house, at least go in the same room together if you can, as long as you're not quarantining from your own family for whatever reason you might need to. But yeah, use the time wisely. It's important that we also remember that we're not going to use the time perfectly. So there are shades of gray. And in, in the therapy realm, they often call this distortion all or nothing thinking. Either I'm the best dad and the best mom, and I'm handling quarantine like a champ, and we're all doing everything perfectly, and we're doing our rosary every day, and we're having every meal at the table together, or who cares, what the heck, just do whatever. Mm -hmm. And that kind of all-or-nothing thinking can lead to despair, which leads to less virtuous behavior. So what we want to encourage is self-compassion. And this means not some kind of weird pride where, oh, everything's perfect about me, but it's speaking to yourself like our Heavenly Father might speak to the prodigal son, or like a good father speaks to a child they love greatly. Speak to yourself in that way in moments when you have imperfect quarantine behaviors, and you will likely help turn the tide towards self-control. Because what we know, Timory, from research in the positive psychology sector is that self-criticism actually decreases self-control. Studies show that self-compassion can help to increase self-control. So what language we use towards ourselves in these moments where we fail and we maybe are on computers five hours in one day and we did mm -hmm. not take advantage of building that relationship with our child, well, we can speak gently to ourselves about it and then the next day try again. Mm -hmm. And I know that that sounds obvious, but how often, I don't know about you, Timory, but very often I slip to a self-critical voice Yes. That leads me further away from where I want to go. Oh, absolutely. It's something that I have to be very careful with myself. That's just my personality, you know, kind of aiming for this perfectionism and self-criticism that then, you know, my poor husband and others, you know, end up being impacted by, you know, that criticism and that attitude that is so prevalent, especially yeah. as we're all in close quarters. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. With us today is Michael Gasparo, Associate Marriage and Family Therapist. Michael, I want to talk for just a second about abortion here. Um, you know, okay. I know you are incredibly pro-life and there's a topic that has been near and dear to my heart right now. Maybe you have thoughts, especially from the perspective of a youth minister and a marriage and family therapist. We're seeing the clearest data we have for abortion really is from the year 2017. And what we've seen is that there's been a huge rise in chemical abortions, even though the overall abortion numbers have gone down. And I could get into all the back end of it, how a vast majority of states don't even report chemical abortions. That's RU-46 abortions. They're also called medical abortions. Um, but there's also this large rise in do-it-yourself abortions, uh, places such as Aid Access and others that are literally shipping the packages that are needed to do your abortion yourself at home, which is shocking because it's one, illegal, and two, it's not even FDA approved, yet it's continuing to go on. 
And so what's scary is that we're seeing states such as Oklahoma, where abortion numbers were pretty low, the abortion stats have actually significantly gone up. And so we have this false sense of understanding that abortion numbers are going down when there's really over a 25% increase between 2014 and 2017 in RU-486 chemical abortions, like the abortion you saw of um, Abby Johnson, right, in the movie Unplanned, Mm -hmm. where she was at home and, you know, Planned Parenthood tells the girls, when they leave the clinic, they give them the little paper bag with their pills and say, flush, don't look, because they're going to give birth. They're going to pass a dead baby at home by themselves. Yeah. And this is what's so sad is that these women are having to carry this all by themselves. I think that what you mentioned scares me, because even if we make headway as a nation in restricting legal access to abortion, this shows that people are finding more and more clever ways to achieve their end by whatever means necessary. And so this is the underlying aspect of the heart change that we're also talking about. I do believe the laws need to change. I am fully supportive of that process. But this is the part where we also need to take a hard look at ourselves as the Catholic community and say, how can we be a witness for life to make abortion unthinkable, as many pro-life advocates say? Because that is going to ultimately be the test for our country and our world, is if we can help prevent people from thinking of abortion as the first and easiest option. And I don't know what your thoughts are, Tim Marie, but these types of abortion pills, it doesn't sound like they're going away anytime soon. So education is key. Mm -hmm. People need to know the truth about what these pills do to their body, about what they do to their future. Do you have many conversations on here about, I've heard that there are ongoing impacts that these can have on women's health in the long term. Do you have information about that? Oh, yes. I mean, so many people, the information is hidden, yet the culture knows this. We know how harmful RU-46 abortion pills are. I don't have to tell you. It impacts long-term fertility. Women are bleeding out and literally dying from blood clotting. And what happens is it's not reported as abortion as a cause of death instead it's reported as blood clotting hemorrhaging as the cause of death and it's heartbreaking because we have so many examples of young people who have taken the pill and who have died yet the statistics and the information is hidden i never forget a few years ago and if you don't know this you should know about this resource it's abortionpillreversal.com again that's abortionpillreversal.com so if someone starts by taking the first set of abortion pills it's not too late you can stop that abortion process last i knew i believe um dr delgado and abortion pill reversal had over, I think, 150 safe, healthy children who had been born wow. through this abortion pill reversal process. And so I've worked with Dr. Delgado and others over the years. And so I had had this on my website many years ago as, you know, really trying to help people understand this is a resource. And I had a young woman comment on the blog saying, I just took the first RU-46 abortion pill. Um, I've changed my mind. Help me. What can I do? Long story short, we worked to get her the resources she needed. She was terrified to leave her home because her boyfriend, who was Catholic, 
wanted her to have the abortion, knew that she was uh-huh. having doubts and was insistent that she stay in the home and not try to find um, any means of care for herself. The long and short of it is because of this controlling boyfriend and because of the social pressure she was under, unfortunately, we were not able to get the resources she needed to start the abortion pill reversal process. Like many others who have had those resources in the network of doctors, you just have to go to the website and get connected with a medical professional who can start to implement that treatment of care. Here's what happened. This woman goes to the ER because she's in so much pain after just having taken one of the first pills. She ends up Uh blood clotting. The doctors say, you know what, you have to take this second pill. You have no other choice. If you don't, your child's going to be deformed and so forth. They have her take the second pill. Don't even give her blood killers and send her home. Or sorry, painkillers and send her home. For the next two weeks, I remember her sitting there texting her as she passed a blood clots the size of baseballs. And they start to think, well, maybe I deserve this. This is the truth of women who are doing at-home abortions and are you 486? Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. I'm back with associate marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. And Michael, I was telling the story you were asking about the impact of RU486 abortions. I was telling the story of this woman who I had counseled through. Unfortunately, she continued to go through the process, but I'll never forget it as she was texting me for up to two weeks almost as she was passing blood clots the size of baseballs. And eventually, Mm. and she was devastated. Absolutely devastated. She'd been having doubts. We tried to connect her with the abortionpillreversal.com network of doctors, but because of pressure from her boyfriend um, and bad um, advice from the emergency room where they forced her to take the second set of pills saying that her child would be deformed if she tried not to, um, she ends up having going through with the abortion process. This woman's body was so damage through this. She ended up passing the baby at home and buried the baby in her grandmother's jewelry box. Now, this woman, this is the truth of what at-home abortions are. This is the truth of what RU486 abortion is because it's an at-home abortion, even though the medical doctor may give you the pills. And so when we're talking about girls who lose their long-term fertility, who have scarring and damage in their bodies from this, but not to mention the emotional and psychological pain, I think the good news that came from this is that that young woman is incredibly pro-life. She saw that that was a child. She recognized that she's a mother and has experienced lost mother and has been incredibly manipulated. And sure enough, within a couple weeks, her boyfriend broke up with her because he couldn't handle the aftermath of that abortion. This is the story of what at-home abortions do. And this is why in the midst of the coronavirus, Michael, we've got to be speaking up and helping these women to heal, but also not make this decision. And what's so interesting about that story is it reminds me of the argument we often hear for the pro-choice movement or the pro-abortion movement, which is, oh, well, if abortion is illegal, then at-home abortions, or they call them coat hanger abortions, are going to increase. We're already there, people. That's what this is. This is already happening. So if you think that legal abortion is somehow safe or or somehow better than what is going to be if things were illegal, 
I think you're already seeing what it is. It's just a matter of the easiness of access to these means and the falsified impression that is given to women that these are simple or straightforward or not painful or possibly not risky. And the, the reality, the truth of it is denied. And what you said is truth, right? She passed her baby. How dare we as a society tell women that that is a dignified thing to do when they're pregnant? How dare we pressure them into that? That's got to be one of the most disturbing things that a human being can possibly imagine, simply just passing their baby and flushing it down the toilet. Who are we as a society if we pass that off as choice or female empowerment? And by the way, that boyfriend has some serious soul-searching that he should do. Because Mm -hmm. when you do this to women, you are not helping them make a choice. You're leaving them with no choice. And we as men have to speak up about this. If you are responsible enough as a man to have sexual intercourse with a woman, then you are responsible enough to help care for a child that you create. And as Catholics, we have to be witnesses. And I'm not perfect, I'm human, and I'm not claiming to stand in a corner and say, I'm sinless, and here I am, Michael Gasparro, perfect example to the whole world about everything. But I'm saying we have to be witnesses. We have to share the truth boldly, even if it means being persecuted in some way for it. Yeah, amen to that. And I know a lot of people are probably thinking, you know, everything with the coronavirus, why are you talking about this? Because do-it-yourself abortions are on the rise. Planned Parenthood is scaring women into saying, you see that financial uncertainty? You see the uncertainty mm-hmm. of your sp- of your current spouse and see how you guys maybe aren't getting along and see how you're not getting along with the man you're living with. And the Internet has been covered with all these art- articles about how couples are learning that they really don't get along while having to be with each other. Maybe that's because you haven't made the commitment to that person. Maybe that's because you're not willing to care for her and the life of that child that may come about. I think we're having to do some serious thinking and contemplation right now about our relationships. And for couples, by the way, if you if you are married and you're having those difficulties, this is a good chance to offer the idea that you can work on your relationship too, Timory. And if you are a couple that is not committed fully, but you're engaged sexually or you are somehow living together, we want people to know that there is hope. You can make your situation better. You can make it right. So I encourage couples, if you have a conscience prick, if you're listening now and just a little piece of you says, you know, maybe we did go too far. Maybe we are too fast in how we've just addressed our sexuality in this relationship, reflect there are ways to shift the boundaries you've created. And this is the kind of thing you can get help for in therapy. I work with couples, Timory, who are in relationships and they are fighting. Maybe they're not married yet. So couples therapy isn't just for married couples. If you're having difficulties, seek Catholic therapy. I work for Healing and Peace Catholic Therapy Services in San Diego with Thomas Schmier, licensed marriage and family therapist, and we're happy to help couples address some of these challenges. And not only perfect couples need to come. There's no such thing as a perfect couple. And sometimes women, I think, and men, imagine that because they've broken that boundary with their sexuality and they've had sex before they're married, well, to heck with it then. I just got to keep doing that. No, you can change your patterns, and they can lead you to more peace and freedom, just like the other issues I mentioned earlier in this show. That's Michael Gasparo. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Michael, along the same lines, there was an interesting piece that I, a couple pieces I've been looking at, and it's a theme I see online over the last couple of years. And that is the question that people are asking, are married people really happier than non-married people? Or the question also rephrased, 
are married people still happier? Another way people might put it is get married, get healthy, question, maybe not. You know, the the online or, you know, kind of mainstream attitude is, you know, we used to think that if we were married, we were happier, but that's not really true. People who have kids and people who are married are less happy is what a lot of people are trying to claim right now. Well, I looked at the data that we discussed in this regard, and it seems that that is kind of a false claim from what I can tell. First of all, we know some things to be true just through human wisdom, and then other things that can be reinforced through research in the behavioral sciences. And my understanding as a marriage and family therapist is that research shows married couples have a lot of health benefits that they attain through their partnership, both at the psychological and physical health realm. And this is something that I think a lot of people get confused because I think people confuse happiness and freedom. I think people in, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on how certain polls are asked, you know, I think people start to think like, how much fun do you go out and have? How often do you go out to eat? How often do you go and get drinks with your buddy? You know, how often do you have a girl's weekend? These are questions that are being asked because the culture, a secular culture, and even unfortunately, a lot of our own Catholic attitudes, you know, begin to believe that. Well, if I'm not doing all these fun things, if I'm not having the vacation I want or the luxury car that I desire, then I'm not happy. But I'm sorry, but happiness is not contingent upon your ability or inability to buy a particular car or spend night, spend an afternoon at happy hour with your buddies. That brings up the great idea that the four key temptations that we can be sucked into as human beings that I think Bishop Robert Barron does a great job of highlighting are pleasure, wealth, honor, and power. Mm -hmm. And there are, I'm sure, other categories here, but if any one of those categories becomes the center of my focus, of my life, then I lose sight of where real peace and joy come from. And that's, quite frankly, one of the gifts of the coronavirus quarantine, is it's challenging all of us to see where do I find that peace and security? Am I only happy if I'm able to do everything that I want to do on a whim? Or am I able to find peace and joy in a deeper-rooted part of who I am in relationship to God, who my identity is in Christ? And let me tell you, I like eating out a lot, okay? So I'm going to admit that I miss eating out. Uh, But at the same time, I'm not resigning myself to be unhappy or have no peace in my life because something that I enjoy is not available to me right now. And I think that's an important distinction to try to look through within ourselves. And I think, like you said, to look into ourselves is so important right now. Why aren't I getting along? Why do I have this uneasiness? Why do I have this rancor for this other person that I'm in the room with 24-7? I mean, we're seeing celebrity couples who have been posting online talking about how they've not been talking for weeks now. And I mean, it's... Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll have to pull it up. I can't remember who it was, but I'm like, really, is this true? Because that's just sad. You can't get along with your spouse, so you just avoid them. Well, my sister and my brother-in-law and my nephew are quarantining with my parents in Texas right now, and they've been together for three weeks under the same roof, and they actually are getting along great. And one of the things they do is they eat dinner together every night. Mm -hmm. And I think these are really normal things that we forget about sometimes in the rush of daily life, just sharing a meal and processing the day together. Even if you're living under the same roof the whole day, if you end up at the end of the day just everyone goes their own directions and watching their own TV programs and ignoring each other while they eat, there's something really lost there, an opportunity to really deeply connect and Mm -hmm. just be present with one another. 
So relationship appreciation is one of the best ways to counteract contempt. And what you kind of called rancor, I think of as contempt, you know, Mm -hmm. when you look at somebody else and you think, ugh, or you roll your eyes. Yeah, that resentment. Right, that resentment. There's anecdotes for that. And one of the best things we can do is to be present and have appreciation for the other people. And so making an attempt to have meaningful time, even during your quarantine, I think is a great way to start. And I was just looking it up. It was Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard is one of the couples that have (laughs) not been getting along with each other. But, you know, Michael, you just gave a great example. I saw a little meme that came out the other day, and it was talking about how the best part of the coronavirus is actually the people we're with and we're getting to spend time with. And I told my husband that last night when I said that, I said, you know what the best part of this is? I love getting to spend time with you. And it's funny because we've both been working like dogs lately and our work has just been really intense. And at the end of the day, we're just not ready to go to sleep because we have so much to say to each other to unwind the day. And, you know, we should hope that this is where we're at, that we're wanting to communicate, lean in and go deeper into our relationships, our prayer lives like do what we can. You're not going to be perfect. Each day is going to be difficult. Yesterday was a difficult one with dishes in our household um, and leaning in and chipping in. But we can do more. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hey, hey, have you heard the news? Trending with Timory is going daily from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 8 Eastern on Relevant Radio. That's right. You can join me Monday through Friday. You can even call in and interact live. We'll be launching the show on April 13th. That's Easter Monday. So we'll all still be quarantined, but we will be able to enjoy in that time together of important topics of additional hours throughout the week. So be sure to join me on Relevant Radio. I can't wait to kick off this new show and join you. If you want to hear anything discussed on trending, as always, let us know. Before we talk about some interesting topics, I've teased this out. We talked briefly about it with Orlando Bloom a couple weeks ago, but there's a lot to Orlando Bloom's story uh, with Katy Perry that really stands out to me. So I have associate marriage and family therapist Michael Gaspar with me. We'll be diving into that in just a second. First, a message about our sponsors. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctors that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Michael, this article that I'm looking at about Orlando Bloom, so many things have stood out to me. Have you seen the story about Orlando Bloom, um, his comments on pornography and then about, well, quote unquote, celibacy before uh, getting engaged to Katy Perry? Yes, I did. I read the article and I think he was highlighting aspects about pornographic use and masturbation that impact men's ability to perform sexually. So it wasn't as much focused on morality as it was 
negative mental health and possible physical health effects. Is that right? Yes, it was. And this is something where we see, you know, faith and science go hand in hand. There are, there's no controversy. There's no disagreement between faith and science yet. So often I think people think, oh, you know, it's you Christians who have a problem with pornography, you know, so what if you want to look a little, it's no big deal. I'm still love my wife. I'm still married, but no, you know, Orlando Bloom's giving, you know, basic facts it impacts your ability to perform. It impacts your ability to bond with another human being. And that's just science. And I work a lot with men and especially men who deal with pornography addiction. And what often is not talked about is a little bit turns into a lot. So even though you mentioned, oh, I just look at it a little bit for a lot of men, it's pornography use. And I can't, I can say probably for women too, I work more with men as a therapist is not really about sexuality oftentimes. It's about coping with other emotional needs that aren't being met other ways. So, for instance, if a man has dealt with stress in his workplace or if a man is dealing with not feeling like he's powerful or strong or wanted, these things that really help him feel like he ticks and is alive, he might turn towards pornography use instead of dealing with his own issues in his life and getting his needs met in a healthy way. And so a little bit can steamroll or can you know snowball into a lot. And that's also where some of these issues with libido and sexual performance come in, is they progressively can be worse the more you use these means like pornography. So I think Orlando Bloom is doing a good starting service point, which Mm -hmm. is saying, hang on, data is telling us that this could cause issues for my ability to be sexual with my wife. Isn't pornography supposed to somehow enhance my sexuality with my wife? That's what the secular culture often says. False. We know that not only is morality tell us it's wrong and not helpful to the relationship, but the data is showing that this can negatively impact things. And so I'm really glad he brought that to the surface. The next step would be to say, why? You know, what's going on here at the more deep emotional level? And I imagine for actor Orlando Bloom, for those who don't know him, he's famous for Lord of the Rings and Pirates of the Caribbean. You should know him. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. Um, He, (laughs) I think that there's more going on behind the scenes here, Michael, because when I look at his story, uh, he outright admits in this March 19th article that he was quite the playboy and you know he's addressing you know he never says he had a porn addiction but he made it very clear i was that playboy and Mm. a buddy of his and i've got to say kudos to this buddy one of his friends recommended that he maybe take six months or take a period of time to practice celibacy now he clearly doesn't know what celibacy is he's practicing abstinence he's refraining from sexual intimacy and he did that Mm -hmm. for six months prior to dating pop singer katie perry who he He's now engaged to. Hopefully they're one of the couples that make it out of the quarantine. Um, But I think that there's a lot of um, respect we've got to have for the fact that one, he had a deep enough relationship with his friend that he was able to see this is actually something important and that the friend was willing to say, yeah, maybe you should try not having sex with all these different people. And this movement is online, too. There are secular groups set up encouraging men to stop masturbating, look at pornography that have nothing to do with religion. And I think the pornified culture we're in is starting to see a little bit of a tipping point. I don't know. I'm not predicting the future which way or which direction it will go. But of course, when you're a young man or young woman, I know young women who are fiercely advocating that this is not just a men's issue. So I want to acknowledge that I know a lot of women deal with this too. But for young men, for instance, 
no young man in my mind sits there and thinks, I can't wait to just look at porn as an adult man all the time. That's not a hero's sexuality. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. that's very sad. It's like someone just basically giving up on actual sexual maturity. So we want to see as young men these examples of heroes that have wives they protect and children they raise. That speaks to the heart of of the deeply rooted longing of a man's desire to be a whole man, not just sort of a man who gets off occasionally through images he can find online. And so that's really the illusion of porn is it creates this need fulfillment that's so limited and simplistic. And I think ultimately it's these types of ideas that have led the secular culture to say, we want more, we want Mm -hmm. something better. And as Catholics, that's what we should focus on. And as a therapist, I think we want to empower people in that way to say, we want to help you find freedom and fullness of life, not just sort of take away the fun things. Like, give me that shiny object. You don't get to have it anymore. We want to be better at talking about it and saying, hey, there's something so much better here. And I think, Timory, that is a good angle to take when you have someone in your life you can speak to about, hey, I think something could be better for you than just this old hat pattern you're in. That's Associate Marriage and Family Therapist Michael Gasparo. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Follow me on Instagram. Learn more about what's going on, my take on current issues, and just some fun photos behind the scenes. You can find me on Instagram at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R. I.e. Michael, I keep coming back to the fact that this friend was willing to speak up to him. Who knows? Maybe that was, you know, a friend who held to more traditional Christian Catholic ideas. Maybe this friend, you know, was an advocate for abstinence. Maybe this friend, you know, is a childhood friend where they've maintained this relationship all these years. I don't know. But one thing that does stand out is Do we know Katy Perry's background? Are we forgetting she came from an incredibly Christian home? And so Mm -hmm. maybe there's something to say that here this man is who is suddenly saying, you know what? I'm not going to have sex for six months. He meets a woman who came from a hardcore Christian family who's been living a different style lifestyle. Maybe this is part of the reason why these two people were a little more attracted to each other. I'm just saying. (laughs) Could be. I don't know. I I do think that, generally speaking, if you're raised with deep-seated values, however imperfect the child-rearing might have been, I don't know much about Katy Perry's family or background, those deep values, if they're based in truth, perhaps we call it mystagogia in the Catholic faith, this sacramental process unfolding over time, the Holy Spirit's work throughout our life, if I'm using that term correctly. I think those deep-seated, truthful ideas can take root in a way that in time can be reactivated through the right encounter or interaction Mm -hmm. or the movement of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I think it's really important that just like you're doing, we don't paint people with a black or white brush and you look for the good and force that. So I certainly wish both of them the best in that regard. And I think it's a good example to all of us that ultimately morality is rooted in real life ramifications. And the way we live, right living leads towards better outcomes, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the Catholic community. 
Amen. And I just want to push for anyone who's not aware of it. Covenant Eyes, covenanteyes.com is a great resource for um, a filtration software you can put on your iPad, your smartphone, or your computer to help filter through um, porn that is accessible um, to help you overcome a porn addiction. There are also programs such as Matt Frad's, I think, 21-day porn detox program that are excellent. We'll be sure to post links to that on social media at Timory. Um, but Michael, before we go, I have a question for you. As a therapist, what are your top two tips for helping couples and families get along through this indefinite coronavirus quarantine? The first thing I would say is make time for each other in an intentional way. You're around each other a lot. So I would just encourage you to make time at a meal, maybe make a ritual of it. Intentional time can lead towards really intentional connection. And that connection helps soothe over any triggers throughout the day. The other thing is practice gratitude on your own for the people in your house. So at the end of the day, reflect on two to three things you're grateful for about each person in your family, in your home. What about them are you grateful for and who are you thankful for? Can you thank God for that and thank their other influences in their life that help them be the person they are today? Gratitude is a very great equalizer to contempt. And I know I mentioned that earlier in the session today, but I really want to emphasize the importance of gratitude for both ourselves and how we treat other people. Amen. Thank you for those tips. You can learn more about Michael Gasparo at radiotrending.com. He's working with a breakthrough clinic. He's also working with Healing and Peace Ministries. So please be sure you can find him and other great Catholic therapists at catholictherapist.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back starting daily on Easter Monday on Relevant Radio. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes.